You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. It's an interesting idea. Give consumers more choice over how they spend their health care dollars. The theory is they will make smarter choices than, say, insurance companies, and that could not only cut their own costs, but cut medical costs overall and possibly even deliver better medical care. That's the thinking behind consumer-driven health plans, a concept favored by the Bush administration, among many others, and a concept that's likely to arise in the presidential campaign. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Our guest to help us sort all this out is Karen Pollitz of the Georgetown University Health Policy Institute. Welcome to the program, Professor Pollitz. Thanks very much. So tell us a little bit more about exactly what consumer-driven health plans are. These are health plans that are growing in the private market, although still most people don't have them. They are, like other health insurance plans, very different. But one common characteristic that they share is much higher cost sharing. So your annual deductible, your co-pays, your co-insurance, what you have to pay out of pocket for covered medical services under the plan is much higher under CDHPs. Now, why would anybody want to do that? Well, in return, the premiums for these plans tend to be lower. In addition, consumers are promise that they'll have less oversight by their insurance companies, perhaps more choice of doctors. The idea is for consumers to be kind of in the driver's seat. And if you're paying more for each healthcare service that you use, the hope is that you'll be a little bit more of a careful consumer and try to hold down costs as well. Now, where and when do these plans originate? Well, actually, high deductible plans have been around for a long time. Anyone who buys individual insurance on their own probably knows that. If you don't get coverage through work and you have to buy policy by yourself in the individual market, a typical insurance policy now requires an annual deductible of $1,000 a year per person or more. So the concept of high deductible plans isn't new. But a couple of years ago, Congress passed a law letting people put away money in tax-free health savings accounts that they are allowed to open if they have one of these plans. And so the notion is that the, you know, Uncle Sam will help you with a tax break to save up against the potential cost liability that you could face if you were covered by one of these health plans. Does a health savings account and a consumer-driven health plan always go together? No, they don't. The plan has to meet standards established by the IRS. So the annual deductible can't be too low. The lowest it can be is about $1,100 per person, $2,200 for a family. And there's a maximum on the out-of-pocket that you can be required to pay for covered services in a year. And that's in the neighborhood of about $5,000 per person and $10,000 per family. Uh, High deductible health plans have been around. Health savings accounts have been around more recently. Is that all a consumer-directed plan is, those two things, or is it more than that? Those are the basic features. In addition, health insurers that sell these policies try to make other information resources available to people so that when they do go out there and shop for health care, you know, that they have a little more information. And those were hard for us to evaluate. Those tend to be available 
on the website and you need to be a member and log in to see them. However, we did talk to medical directors of some of these plans and they told us that while insurers are making more price information available to people about what doctors might charge for certain kinds of services, that information about quality is much harder to develop. Really, nobody has good information about that and what's out there is just beginning. The measures of quality are, are a big problem broadly in our health in, health industry. Yeah. And these companies haven't figured out anything new that nobody else knows yet. Now, you said not too many people have these plans. Do we know how many Americans have these kinds of plans? I think we're around 3 or 4 million people who have them now, but that compares to about 160 million people who have traditional employer-based health insurance. So, you know, it, it's a growing market. It was only a million or two people a couple of years ago, but it's still pretty small. The key question here, of course, is how much people are on the hook for when they get one of these plans. How much might it cost them? And I would assume, certainly if I were looking for this kind of plan, I would want to know as I made my decisions, what's the worst case scenario here? How badly might I get hit if I, if I get sick this year? You've done a study to look at that question in one particular area. Can you tell us about that? Sure. We looked at how these plans cover maternity care which is a healthcare service that a lot of people tend to come across. And that's the most common reason for people to be hospitalized in the United States. So we looked at how some of these different plans might cover maternity care and what share of costs the family might be responsible for if they were enrolled in a plan. And what did you find? We found you could pay a lot of the cost of your pregnancy if you're in one of these consumer-driven health plans. What we did was we tried to map the coverage under these plans against different kinds of pregnancy scenarios. You know, you might have a very simple pregnancy where everything is, you know, not complicated, there's no medical problems at all, the whole pregnancy happens in one calendar year. Odds are that won't be the case. Most nine-month pregnancies are going to stretch across two calendar years. So, you know, that was sort of one scenario. And the cost of that pregnancy we estimated to be in the neighborhood of about nine or $10,000. That would be the cost of covered services that the insurance company would recognize as reasonable. And then of that amount, the traditional policy that we looked at paid for all but about $1,500. So the family would have to pay $1,500 out of pocket under a traditional health insurance policy. And what about under the consumer-driven kind of plan? Much more. It depends on the plan because they're all different, but it could be $3,000, could be $5,000, could be $8,000. People who have these plans know that going in. Well, they probably know that going in, but it's not clear <laughs> how easy it is to anticipate what your out-of-pocket cost, out cost might be. One thing that was particularly problematic, and this is true of all health insurance, not just consumer-driven plans, is it's really hard to know how your plan works. I think probably anybody has... <laughs> come across this problem at some point. You think you know how your coverage works, then you make a claim and you start to realize, oh, I owe more than I thought I did or it's not going to be covered. We examined these policies, actually had a lawyer read the policies word for word. And we couldn't always tell, for example, when a baby is born, if you start out your pregnancy with self-only coverage, at what point do the claims become subject to the family level? You would think that would be an obvious thing to know and something clear in the contract. That was very hard for us to determine reading these contracts. When would complications of pregnancy be covered? Very hard to know, even reading the contract language. Medical directors told us lots of times they decide this on a case-by-case -case basis. What costs count toward your deductible and your out-of-pocket limit? If you're planning on paying that amount, what if there are other costs that don't count against that amount and you have to pay those too? So I think it can be hard for people to plan 
what their out-of-pocket expenses might be in general under insurance, but the stakes are so much higher under these consumer-driven health plans. For those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Karen Pollitz of the Georgetown University Health Policy Institute. Well, I have to tell you, uh, Professor Pollitz, this is reassuring to me a bit because I thought I was the one who couldn't understand what my health insurance covered. And now you're telling me lawyers who read all that terrible language can't understand it either. They just vary a lot. And a lot of the variation that we saw were in policies that are sold by the same insurer. So you can't really take for granted if you just know generally what benefits are covered and what the deductible is that you know what you're going to have to pay out of costs. It's a lot more complicated than that. Now, Many of our listeners are physicians, healthcare providers, and so forth. And, of course, they're very concerned about insurance reimbursements. How do these plans affect them? That's a good question, and that's something we couldn't study. Part of what was tricky about studying these plans is that one of the most important pieces of information, which is how much of a bill an insurance company will consider reasonable and therefore reimburse, isn't knowable up front. That's proprietary information. So we had to make estimates about what we thought were the billed charges for any given service and then the allowable charges under a health plan. And then we assumed that consistently across plans. Say that again. Which piece of that is proprietary? How much they will allow? Yep. Yep. In other words, you know, if you go out for a chest x-ray, the x-ray facility might charge you $100 for the x-ray, but insurance company A might say, oh, well, under my fee schedule, we only pay $50. And insurance company B may say, well, we only pay $52. And insurance company C may pay 60 So, you know, there's sort of no such thing as a price for health care. One amazing piece of language that we saw in one of these policies, usually doctors will know when they sign up to participate in a health plan network, they will be told some idea of what that health plan's fee schedule is. But in one of the policies we read, it said right there in the contract language, we won't necessarily pay the contracted fee. This is sort of one of the scary, invisible things about health insurance. Yeah. I mean, one of the issues for doctors I could foresee or healthcare providers would be that this shifts more of the payment responsibility to the patient. So the question would be, if you're a doctor trying to collect fees, uh, is it easier or harder to collect them from the patient than from the insurance company? Maybe that's not an easy answer. There's an interesting statistic about families that are underinsured. Medical bills are the leading reason in the United States why families declare bankruptcy. And most people who declare bankruptcy because of high medical bills had health insurance. And the average bills that those people faced were under $14,000. So it doesn't exactly take a six-figure catastrophe to sink most families. And so I think from a provider's perspective, you need to, if you see someone walking in with one of these policies, you have to wonder if they can really take the hit. So the Bush administration and Congress have both acted in some respects or expressed their liking for these consumer-driven health plans. Have any of the presidential candidates in what they've said about their health care proposals so far raised any issues regarding these? You know, that's a good question, and there's so many of them I haven't looked. I know there has been strong congressional support over the years for these programs, and that's why the tax breaks were adopted. And these plans are growing, and I think health insurers are hoping that they will become even more popular. They're risky for patients, possibly. I think it's bad 
for our whole healthcare system for people to be underinsured. Well, you get far enough down that road, it's not all that different from being uninsured. Plus, you paid a premium. Why do you think the administration and Congress seem to favor these things? Well, because it is one way to make health insurance cheaper. If we're not willing to put money on the table to actually help people pay their premiums for good coverage, then the only other way to make coverage magically cheaper is to have it cover less. That's really what the genesis of these plans are about. How can we make health insurance cheaper without facing up to what it would cost to subsidize good coverage? So that's, I mean, you've got to engage in some compartmentalization there. If you look strictly at premiums, these are cheaper. But your study, which may or may not be representative of other kinds of medical care, shows that, in fact, the outlay is much higher. They're, they're really more expensive. This is going to be true even more dramatically so for other kinds of health conditions. I mean, a pregnancy might span two calendar years, but diabetes, that's forever. Heart disease, asthma, a lot of chronic health conditions they're with you for the rest of your life. So if you're in one of these plans, that high deductible is a gift that keeps on giving. All right, well, that will bring us to a close. We've been talking about consumer-driven health plans with Karen Pollitz of the Georgetown University Health Policy Institute. Thanks for being with us, Professor Pollitz. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks so much for being with us.